Welcome to the Fremont Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. We are a family of believers who meet in Fremont, Indiana every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We are attempting to follow Jesus by loving God and loving people. If you would like to support Fremont Community Church, go to www.fremontcommunity.org. tell you what, every single day I think of that verse that says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Because I have found a great thing. Proverbs, she's a Proverbs 32 woman. She's not just 31. She's the next level. Next level. Just saying, I'm a blessed man in so many ways. In so, so many ways. Okay. And she hates it when I do this. So just, you know, bless her. We had an amazing week this week. We really did. We saw, we saw some things come through that we've been waiting on for a while. We saw um, the awesome, to, that was this last Tuesday night was the ladies thing. And wow, that was so great. And if you did not get a chance to be here for that, I want to invite you to go out and watch it on Facebook or on YouTube. It, was, it is so worth your time to go and hear the testimony of uh, Irene and Louise, who are just such incredible pillars of this community. It's such an awesome, awesome, uh, and their kids getting up and talking. You kind of cheated, ladies, I got to say. You cheated. It was supposed to be both of you. I even let you share that, that night so that you didn't feel, and you still had other people speak. But it was really good, so thank you for that. Um, but it was great. You can go and find that on YouTube or on, on Facebook. It is totally worth your time to hear that amazing testimony from this week. And it's just been good. It's just been, Lord is good. Amen? Sonny? Come on now. Whew. Hallelujah. All right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, maybe I'll be able to focus enough to get Oh, Father, <laughs> you are so good. Oh, you are so good, and your mercy endures forever. Your loving kindness to all generations. You are faithful. Your faithfulness is to the clouds. Lord, we honor you. You are worthy of our praise. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, because you're in this room right now, and you are at work. You are at work. Jesus, I pray that as I begin to share this word, oh God, let, let the seed of the kingdom be planted in the soil of our hearts and let it bring forth good fruit for your sake, Lord, for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would again surrender today to the Savior God. I ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen and amen. So in our journey up to Easter, this Lenten season, we are gazing upon Christ, the Savior of the world. That is what we are doing. 
So we talked, I asked you a few weeks ago, is Jesus still your Savior? And I'm going to ask you again this morning, is Jesus still your Savior, my friends? Every single minute of every single day. Yes and amen. He is still my Savior. He'll still be my Savior tomorrow because I still need saving. Amen? We talked about Jesus, the revealer of the Savior God. That Jesus is the revealer of the, he perfectly reveals his Father who is Savior. That Jesus isn't saving us from God, he's saving us for God, and that's good news. And last week we talked about Jesus, healer of body, soul, and spirit. And I had one testimony of healing this week. Brother Donald over here, are you still, are you still feeling good? Hallelujah. He's been struggling with some digestive stuff, and God, God healed him Sunday. Come on, somebody get excited about that. That is amazing. Anybody else that we prayed for on Sunday has felt something different? We just felt, felt, like, felt better to Shana back there. Man, I'm telling you what, I, I just, the more I gaze upon, I am having so much fun. Going, reading through the scripture, reading through the gospels especially, and seeing Jesus as the Savior. And as I began to unpack this initially, the Lord gave me several different, different kind of points that he wanted me to, to hit. Several ways in which Jesus saves us. And this one that we're going to talk about today was one of the foremost ones. It's one of the ones that has been, man, just so so impactful for me as a follower of Jesus to see Jesus in this way. Jesus, the, the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. Jesus, the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. This is the, one of the ways that Jesus talked about his ministry. And I'm going to read you one of the stories, it's from Luke 19, and then we're going to focus on three parables together that Jesus used to talk about this. But Luke 19.10, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone into the guest in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to our Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." How many of you grew up in church and you remember the song, Zacchaeus was a... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, what a great song, right? 
Those uh, those good songs. I hope we you know we still need to teach those terrible songs to our kids. They're important. When the, it's a great song, it's not a terrible song, but it just gets stuck in your head, and it's been stuck in my head all week. But I love I love this story so much. The story is so powerful because what you have is a man named Zacchaeus, and the fact that he was a wee little man was not a big part of the story, except for that explains why he climbed a tree. Okay? The primary thing we need to understand about Zacchaeus is that he was a chief tax collector. Now, the way the Romans worked their tax system back in the day is they would say, hey, we need to get some tax money from the people. And they would let people in the community bid on how much money they could get from the people and whoever came in with the best bid would win the contract. You know how that works, right? Zacchaeus would have had to fight pretty hard to get his position as chief tax collector. But the Romans did not keep track. They kept track of what the people owed them and whether or not it got paid, but they did not keep track of how much money was actually collected. So the tax collectors would regularly collect a little extra, maybe a lot extra from the people and keep the extra after they had paid the Romans what the Romans thought was due. Does that make sense? And because of that, because of that, the tax collectors were not well thought of, okay? Nobody liked the tax man, and nobody still likes the tax man, but they were even more, they were, they were considered the scum of the earth, okay? They were the ones that people told jokes about. You know, there was this whole thing back in the 90s, I remember about lawyer jokes, remember all the lawyer jokes? But, you know, my favorite one was the, uh, was the one that what, and if there's lawyers in the room, we love you. But, uh, the, you know, that it says that uh, scientists have started using lawyers instead of rats for scientific experiments. Have you heard this joke? They do it for two reasons. One, uh, they get less attached to the lawyers. And two, there's certain things even rats won't do. Okay, anyway. That's a bad joke, I know. But those are the kind of jokes that people would tell about the tax collectors. Everybody hated the tax collectors. And when the tax collectors would come around, they would... Right? These were not good people. They were not liked. And they were feared. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So you can imagine how people felt about him in Jericho. They did not appreciate this man. And here comes Jesus. Zacchaeus knew he wouldn't get to see Jesus because he was short and because there's no way anybody was going to say, here, come to the front of the crowd because they didn't like him. And he was known as a sinner, but he had this curiosity about Jesus. Who is this guy? And what's going on with him? You know, you really shouldn't pinch that baby, Maury. It's not nice at all. Poor Zion. We just don't like this guy. But Zacchaeus was fascinated with Jesus, and so he climbed a tree. Now, 
that's not something that a normal, you know, I'm guessing he was wealthy, so I'm guessing he was well-dressed. Have you ever climbed a tree? It's not good for your clothes. You know what I mean? Like, I used to climb trees all the time when I was a kid, so I would rip up my clothes, and they would get all, like, sap on them and stuff like that, and my mom would be really mad at me. Here goes Zacchaeus up a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus comes along, and I love this moment because Jesus is walking, and Zacchaeus is trying to stay out of sight while still seeing Jesus, but Jesus walks right to the place where he is and looks up, and not only that, he calls him by name. Hey, Zacchaeus. So it's not like Zacchaeus can say, oh, we must be talking about someone else, right? Not only that, he's the only one up the tree, right? It's not like there's a bunch of people up there. It's just Zacchaeus, and here's Jesus looking up there. Hey, Zacchaeus. Oh, hi, Jesus. I lost a Frisbee. It's up here somewhere. Maybe he was after his cat. I don't, I don't know what story you would have come up with. He says, but hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. In this culture, to go over to someone's house, to stay at their house, was the same as calling them family. You didn't do this lightly. You didn't eat with sinners. You didn't eat with Gentiles. Because in doing so, you were connected with them. If you welcomed someone into your house, you, you were saying, this is, they're a part of me. And if you went to someone's house that had bad reputation, the whole town would whisper about you. But here's Jesus in front of the entire town, inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus comes down and he immediately says, he immediately starts in trying to earn Jesus' favor, but he didn't need it, did he? Because Jesus is the one that came to his tree and the one that called his name and called him down out. And he says, he says, salvation has come to your house today. Jackie, you know what that word salvation is? It's sozo. It's sozo. Salvation of body, soul, and spirit means healing, completeness, wholeness, restoration. Salvation has come to your house today, Zacchaeus. Because Jesus is coming. He said, because the Son of Man, and that's the way Jesus often referred to himself. Which was a prophetic title from Daniel chapter 7, by the way, that in saying Son of Man, he was, he was calling himself Messiah in a very sneaky way. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. I'm here to seek and save the lost. But before he says that, he says this, because this too is a son of Abraham. You see, in colluding with the Romans, the rest of the Jewish people would have rejected him and even called him, you're not a Jew anymore, you're a Roman. But Jesus recognized him as a part of the family. He said, you belong with us, you belong with me, and I belong with you, and salvation has come to your house. 
What a powerful story. And out of that encounter, Zacchaeus repented. It was the shortest version of the Scrooge story we've ever seen. Maybe And the first one. An encounter with Jesus gets the rich man in repentance. But four chapters before this, Jesus told three stories. And we're going to focus in on these three parables of Jesus that are well known, that you have heard before. But, they, but maybe you've not seen all three of them in the same place or understood the pattern that Jesus lays out. Because when we begin to talk about Jesus, Savior of that which is lost... There is a way that that works. So I'm going to read to you. Well, I'm not going to read them because we don't really have time. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. In the parable of the lost sheep, let's see, Jesus, Jesus told this story for a very specific reason. Jesus was once again being accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd. The Pharisees were there, and they said, this Jesus guy, he's hanging out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with, tax collectors. They even name that. They even say tax collectors, which, by the way, Matthew or Levi the, the, uh, one of the apostles had been a tax collector. <gasps> this guy hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. How dare he? He's not a holy man. Hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. That's how I hear it. That's, that's how I hear it. As it's, you know, I hear I hear. Uh, Rachel Lind. Anybody with me? Do anybody know what I'm talking about? It's from it's from Anne of Green Gables. You really should read these books. Anyway, but she was the gossip that was always at the window watching people come in, and then she would run over and talk to Marilla and be like, you are never going to believe what just happened, right? Tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> and Jesus looks him in the eye, and he says, which of you, if you had 100 sheep, and 99 of them were in the fold, right? The 99 of them are home and happy and healthy, but one is missing. Would you not go and search for your lost sheep? Would you not go out and shake the, shake the bushes and go look to the pl in the places? Maybe it fell down. Maybe it got hurt. Maybe it was killed by a wolf or a lion or some other such animal. Maybe but I'm going to go find it. I'm going to leave the 99, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to find it. I'm going to search for it. And then when you find your sheep, and it's hail and holy, you pick it up, and you rejoice, and you come home. He says, and then, not only that, but you're going to call all your friends and you're going to say, hey, guys, my sheep, I found him, I found him, I found him, I found him. You're going to enlist the search party, and then when you find him, you're going to rejoice and you're going to have a party. He says, in the same way, picture an old lady, she doesn't have very much money, but she has coins that are very important to her, and she loses one of those coins. And she's going to sweep out the whole house, move all the furniture, 
do everything she can do. Look in every corner, every crack. She's going to even look in the heating vents. Till she finds her coin, and when she finds her coin, she's going to call together all the neighbors. I found my coin. I found my coin. Come celebrate with me. Yay, we found the coin. Maybe she collects coins. I don't really know the context. And then finally, he tells a story we know well, the story of the prodigal son. I like to call it the story of the man who had two sons. Because here was a man, a wealthy man, who had two sons, and one of his sons looks at him and says, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die to be able to get my inheritance. So I want you to give me my portion of what will come to me when you die, and I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I want with it. And the father says yes, which has always shocked me, honestly. I would have said, no way, I'm still using it. You want to go, go, but you're not going to get any of my money to go. But that's not how he reacts, which is, we could talk more about that some other time. But He lets his son go. His son goes off to a foreign country and he wastes all of his money on, you ready? This is your $20 word of the day, lascivious living. The word means uncontrolled, means wasteful, running after all of the passions of the flesh, lascivious living. He spends it on prostitutes and wine and pretty clothes. But then a famine comes and he's out of money and he ends up working for a pig farmer. Now this is a Jewish boy. He's a Jewish boy. Pigs and, and, and Jewish boys don't get along. Are you with me? There weren't pig farmers in Israel because they couldn't eat pigs. And a pig was looked upon as a filthy, disgusting animal. And here he is, son of a wealthy Jewish family working at a pig farm. And not only that, but he's starving to death, so he's thinking about eating the pig's food. That's how hungry he is. And then he wakes up one day and says, you know, all the guys that work for my dad are making a lot better money than this, and they, are, they don't smell like pigs. They smell like sheep, which isn't much better, but they don't smell like pigs. And... They make a lot better money, and they're not starving to death. I, I, I'm going to go home. 
And I know what's going to happen when I get home. Dad's going to freak out. He's going to yell and scream at me. He's going to tell me I'm a horrible son. He's going to, he may not even let me come home, but if I just come home and say, Dad, just, just all I want is a job. I, I don't, I'm not interested in being your son. I don't deserve to be your son. I understand that. I threw away my connection with you. I get that. And, and, I, and, and I, I, so I understand, but I just need a job. Can you please give me a job? And he starts on his way home, and I always think about it. How many, you're like me, and, and you rehearse your lines before you get to an uncomfortable conversation? You know what I'm talking about? You're saying, as, as you, you know that an uncomfortable conversation is coming, so you start thinking through exactly how you're going to say things, exactly how you're going to word, you know, oh, I can't say that word because that'll make him mad, so I might, I might have to say it like this. I'm just, spin it a certain way, right? And I can imagine the son doing that on his way home as he's walking home. Dad, I realize what maybe I should say. Father. Uh, 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 maybe, you know, maybe if I, you know, just add some kind of nice, uh, gracious father, wonderful father, I don't know, something, you know, and he's thinking about how do I address him? How do I butter him up? How do I, you were always so good to me and you taught me better, but I decided to, to leave. Yeah, whatever, but he's on his way home. He's running through his lines in his head. That's not in the Bible, that's just in my picture. He comes across, he comes over the horizon. And I think he's probably looking at the dirt because that's what you do when you feel like this. That he hears someone running. And he looks up and sees something he never thought he would ever see. His dad running. I know my kids don't expect to ever see me running. He's running this way. He's running toward him. And he's probably thinking, oh, no, he's coming to beat the living daylights out of me. Here he comes. Oh, he's going to hurt me. And maybe he thought about just turning around and running. <laughs> I can beat Dad. Dad's not, he's, you know, old and out of shape. I can probably get out of here before Dad catches me. Or maybe he was so shocked to see his father running that he just stood there like a lump in the middle of the road, like, what is happening right now? And I can imagine him wincing. But his dad comes and just wraps him up in both of his arms, tears running down his face. My son, my son, my son, you've come home. And the son is like, what is it? What is that? And he starts his speech, dad, I'm a horrible person. I was a, shh. My son is home. Welcome home. He puts his arm around him and he walks him back to the back to the farm. He's like, son, you need a shower, son. <laughs> but better than that, I want to get you a whole new outfit, but the nicest clothes and wisdom. And he put he takes off his own ring, the signet ring, the, the ring of the authority of the house, and he puts it on his son's finger and he says, kill the fatted calf. Get the party ready. My son is home. We thought he was dead. We thought he was gone. He's home. He's home. Come on, somebody get excited about this. And they have a huge party. But there was another son, you know, there was a second son that didn't go away. The older son, he didn't go away. He had stayed and he had worked at the farm. 
And the dad, at some point in the party, looks around and realizes his older son is not in. Why? Well, we must not know that his brother's back. So he goes and he finds him and he says to his son, hey, your, your brother is back. And his son looks at him with that look, you know, like, Dad, I cannot believe that you are throwing a party for him. Him. You've never thrown a party for me. I'm here every day. I show up on time. I do my work well. We're at the point now where you're semi-retired. You don't even need, I don't even need your help to run the farm anymore. I'm doing everything and things are going well. And yet you've never thrown a party for me and you're throwing your party for that guy who's who took half your money and wasted it. What's going on? his dad looks him in the eye and he says, son, everything I have is yours. And I'm right here. And I love you. But my son was dead. <laughs> now he's alive. We should rejoice. Yeah, amen. We should rejoice. Now, in these three stories, there's a pattern that we find. Four things that happen in each one of these three stories. Jesus told them all together for a reason. He was setting up a repeating pattern so that no one could miss it. Step number one. The owner, the father, the shepherd, Jesus, recognizes that he's lost something. That one of his kids is lost. One of his sheep is lost. That one of his beloved ones is lost. You see, they're, they're, that is step one in every single one of these stories. And you need to hear that it is because, my friends, he's missed you. I think we move along, we just may, we start moving through life, and as we drift further and further away from the Lord, we think, we think, well, nobody misses me at church. We think, well, nobody misses Jesus. He doesn't even care. He doesn't even miss me. He's not, I've been gone, but it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And we get into this whole thing, this pity party thing where we think nobody cares that I'm not around. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. We get into that thing, but Jesus says, that's not true. It's wrong. The minute you step outside the door, the Father knows. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. He knows you. He knows all the number of hair on your head. And when you go missing, he knows it. He is aware of it. And not only that, it is radically important to him because it moves him to action. When you begin to dr drift away from the Father, the Father's heart gets stirred. No! Don't go. I don't want you to go. No, don't be. And it begins to search because that's step two. Step one is the father notices when we're missing. Have you been missing your prayer time lately? The father noticed. And I'm not saying that to you to make you feel guilty. I'm saying that to you to help you to understand that he loves your presence. 
He loves your face, your voice. He loves your attention. He loves when you and he are spending time together. It delights his heart. The Bible says the Lord delights in his people. And we talk all the time. We're like, oh, we just want your presence. But have we ever thought that he just wants ours? He adores you. He is not begrudgingly spending time with you. He's not over in some corner going, why do I have to keep putting up with Judy Folk? I don't even know what's going on. I should have picked somebody else because nobody feels that way about Judy Folk. Why do I keep having to hang out with Josh Hawkins? I'm so sick and tired of his prayers. Just shut up. That is not in his heart. That is not. But we feel that way sometimes, don't we? We feel like God's like, hmm. Oh, you happen to notice me well. Can I say this to you? God's not passive aggressive. And God is not manipulative. God is adoring and kind and he loves you. And he loves your voice. He loves your face. And he wants you with him. And when you're missing, he notices. And more than that... When just one little piece of your heart is missing, he notices. When most of me is his, but not this little piece of me at the back of me is not, is that I'm going to keep in? He doesn't want that anyway. Wrong. Wrong. He knows. In the Old Testament, he says that his name is jealous. Do you know what that means? And I don't want you to think of jealous as like, you know, the, the husband that's constantly watching his wife. You know, do you have male friends on Facebook? I'm going to kill them. Right? Not like that. He's not controlling or coercive. But he wants all of you. He wants all of you. All of your heart. He wants it. And when there's a part of you that's missing, he notices. Step two is Jesus, the shepherd, the lady with the coin. The father with the son searches, searches. He looks. You see, you being missing stirs him to action. You being missing causes him to move out to find you. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? Did they go to God and say, God, we messed up? No, what happened? God came looking for them. I want you to take this one idea. There's this one theological idea that I want you to burn to the ground, and every single one of us has heard it, but I'm telling you it's wrong. The whole Bible says it's wrong, and it's this, that God is disgusted by your sin. Wrong, period. He hates it because it's destructive to you, but he's not disgusted by it. He's not like, ew, gross. No. No. <laughs> 
That is not God. And I can prove it to you because God went looking for the, he went looking for the sheep, he went looking for the coin, he went looking for the sun, he went looking for Adam and Eve when they had sinned, when they were cowering in shame behind a bush covered in fig leaves going, oh, we're naked. God came looking for them. And he found them where they were. And isn't that your story? Didn't God come looking for you? Didn't God come and find you where you were and wake you up and set you back on the right path? Isn't that your story? I'm telling you right now, God's not afraid of your sin. He's not disgusted by your sin. He wants your sin gone, but only because it's destructive to you. And he is coming after you because he loves you and because he's noticed that you're missing and he's coming to find you, not just part of you, but all of you. He wants to save you. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Are you hearing this this morning? He notices when you're gone, and it stirs him to action. He begins to seek after you, and Step three is one of my favorites. He finds you. There's not one part in the story, there's not one part in any of these three stories where he gives up looking until he finds you. He keeps looking, he keeps looking, he keeps looking, he keeps pursuing, he keeps coming, he keeps searching, he doesn't stop until when? Until he finds you. Until he finds you. And I know that Probably everyone in this room has had a moment in your life where you thought, I am beyond the boundaries of where God will search for me. Wrong! Where you've thought, I have sinned one too many times. God's not coming for me anymore. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and don't you believe it? He's after you, and he's not going to stop looking for you until he's found you and brought you home. And he's not going to stop looking for your kids. And he's not going to stop looking for your grandkids. And he's not going to stop looking for your friends and your brothers and your sisters. Jesus is on the hunt. And he's not giving up hope. And so you should not give up hope. And you should not think of him as having given up or be angry with him because you haven't seen them come home yet. He's not giving up. He's still on the hunt. He's still coming. Nothing can stop him. All of the omnipotent power of God has been set on the loose to find the lost. And he doesn't care what price he has to pay to find you. That is the message of the cross. He will do what it takes to bring you home. He notices when you're gone. It begins him searching, and then he finds you. He finds you. There you are. Remember, have you ever gotten lost when you were a kid? Did you ever do that thing where you're walking next to someone and you think it's your dad, and then you look up and it's someone else? <gasps> that happened to me I don't know how many times. <laughs> 
That's not death. He finds you. God comes and looks, and then he finds. He's the God who finds. Don't be afraid of what's lost. My friends, he'll find it. Have you lost your way? Have you lost your hope? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your passion? He's looking for it. He'll find it. There might be a journey in between here and there, but he'll find it. There might be some time. There might be some work. There might be some things that you don't necessarily want to do. Nobody likes sweeping the whole house. But he'll do what it takes, and he'll find it. He'll find you wherever you've gotten lost. And then step four, he celebrates. It's not enough that he finds you. Then he celebrates you. Jesus said there is more rejoicing in heaven over this one child that was lost than any righteous person who never ran away and came home, and came home again. There is a celebration going on. Every time God finds one of his precious ones, all of heaven celebrates. And every time God restores just a little more of you, he celebrates you. He celebrates you. And sometimes I think we think that God is begrudging and grumpy about saving us. No, that's not the case. The Bible says that God loves mercy. Oh, that's good news. God loves mercy and is his greatest joy is forgiving the lost sinner. He loves to come and say, oh, you're home. Here, please take the robe, take the ring, kill the fatted calf, rejoice. Oh, it's good news, my friends, because every single person in this room has been lost. And at, right, and at this time, there's still something lost. But God is looking, and God is going to find, and God is going to celebrate. Oh, that's good news. He celebrates. Now, Jesus set up that pattern with those three stories, but the last story as Jesus is wont to do, he makes a little twist for his audience because he has in his audience the lost and the formerly lost and the ones that don't realize they're lost. You see, the second son, though he had been home all the time, was just as lost as the first because his heart was filled with anger at his father, anger at his brother, and resentment and bitterness. You can hear it in his voice when he says, I've been here this whole time and you've never thrown a party for me. Oh, that's not a thought that just came into his head. That's a thought he's been thinking. And so in a very real way, the older son was just as lost as the younger. 
And Jesus leaves that second story open as an invitation. Are you going to let me find you? Are you going to let me find, bring you home to the Father? Are you going to let me celebrate you? Let's bow our heads and let's prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning. If I can have four or five folks to come over here, I want to remind you to put on gloves and then help me to serve communion to our body this morning. We've all strayed from home, from family, from our relational context. You might say, I'm not lost, but there's always something, something lost. There's always some part of us that still needs to be found. There's always something inside of us that we has not yet come home to the Father and been celebrated. As we prepare to party together, because that's what this is, this is a feast, this is a celebration, this is a party. I think sometimes we make communion into this somber moment, and rightfully so at times. We need to be thinking about if we have any sin that we need to bring home, that we need to bring to the father to ask him to forgive us we need to think about if there's any broken relationship between us and another but the early church they took communion as a part of a celebration it was the culminating moment of something that they referred to as love feasts. Where they celebrated together the fact that they themselves had been found and that more were being found every day. They celebrated together the moment when Jesus came searching for them and did what it took accomplished what needed to be accomplished, went the distance to find them where they were, and you rescue them and bring them home. I want to spend the next 30 seconds or so in silence, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, In what way am I lost? What still needs to be found and brought home and celebrated? The glass dish is gluten-free. You need that, don't you? Did you get it? Hey, Susan, will you give this gentleman with the beard, like, right there, Right, by, right on the other side to Shana. He needs gluten-free. Love you.
Holy Spirit, search us and know us. Reveal to us what's been lost. What has sin stolen from us? In what way are we at a distance from the Father or from the church itself? Open us up. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long, come. You who have tried to follow And you who have failed, come, for the Lord invites you, and it is his will that those who would meet him would meet him here. Take that cracker in your fingers. Here it is. You know, Jesus said, he is the bread that comes down from heaven. That's in John chapter 6. In the Old Testament, the bread was the bread of the presence of God. And you hold in your fingers the body of Christ. He came to where you were so that you could be where he is. So let us celebrate the coming of our Savior and Lord who has come to rescue us this morning. And let us receive that rescue as we take this into our bodies together. Amen. Now this cup. This cup of the new covenant of his blood Covenant is a promise. Covenant is a holy promise sealed by blood. And that promise to you this morning is this. You will always have a place at the Father's table. 
you are a member of this family now and forever. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You hold in your hand the very essence of that promise. So now by faith, let us take it in, receive it and remember it in Jesus' name. stand. If you're in this house this morning and you would say, I'm lost, in little ways and in large ones, I want you to know that Jesus came looking for you today. There is a reason that you are in this room. And if you will, right now, just say, here I am. He will meet you. He will forgive your sins. He will make you a part of the family again. He'll put the signet ring on your finger and celebrate you. Because he's been looking for you for a long time. Here we are, Father. May I bless you this morning? I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus to be aware of the God who pursues you. I bless you in the name of Jesus to be awakened to a God who delights in you, who smiles over you, who's not angry with you but rejoices in your presence in all that you are and all that he has created you to be. He loves you. And I bless you to feel that when you wake up in the morning and to feel that when you go to sleep at night. And I bless you to carry that everywhere you go every single day so that people will have to ask you why you're walking three feet off the ground. I bless you with the joy of the Lord that comes from the Lord of the feast, the King of joy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. (laughs) Hallelujah! Come on, somebody celebrate! Oh, my precious friends, do not miss this weekend. Saturday night is going to be fantastic. Maddie's going to help Rachel and I lead worship, and she's a great worship leader. And she's a prophetic personality, too, so you never know what's going to happen with Maddie. And Tim is going to get up, and he's going to share a powerful word from God's Word. And he's probably, I don't know, I haven't talked to him yet about what he's going to preach, but he just wrote a book about fighting depression. So if you have friends that are fighting, wrestling with depression, I want you to invite them because this is their weekend. I love you all. Have an amazing week. We'll see you Saturday.